Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You felt intimidated in the workplace? I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I'm not out there to upset anybody. We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans' lives. As far as cancer concerns, well, you want a property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But I can't get into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. I have a copy of that letter issued by the Acting Housekeeping Services Manager to the housekeeping staff at HSE, CUH. And my immediate thoughts are, look, he's not with us any longer, but what would Richie Grogan say about that poor old Richie passed away, as you know, a year or two ago? What would the great Richie Grogan say? about that particular letter is it even legal what they're asking housekeeping staff to do we'll check that out promise you we'll work on that because I don't like that letter I don't like it I don't think it's fair you know it says that leave requests would be very limited due to an embargo and we kindly request you only apply for leave if it's absolutely necessary and we hope you will this is the bit that this is the bit that stings me right this is the bit that I don't like. You will. We hope you will continue to support the team throughout the upcoming months. These are some of the hardest working people in the health service. They're the people who get no glory. They get no medals. They get no praise. They're some of the hardest working people in the health service. And that kind of, we hope you'll continue to support the team as if to say, I'm going to ask for a week off to go on holidays with my family. It's almost disloyal. That letter is disgraceful. But I wonder, is it legal? We'll tackle it uh, throughout the course of the morning. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text to WhatsApp. Yes, I am cross about that letter. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. First, though, to the roads. And the we're into another bad start to the year. Uh, we, is it nearly 30 deaths on our roads now so far in 2024 and in 2023 it was the worst year for nearly a decade 184 people lost their lives in 2023 which was up a fifth as good as near Dammit to a fifth on the previous year the journal.ie did some digging and they got some statistics some fairly frightening statistics the journal published during the week a statistic that of the 21,000 people who got a driving ban in the last two years that actually had a license, only 5,000 of them gave it up. So that's less than a quarter of the people disqualified from driving gave their license back, which you're supposed to do within two years of being disqualified by the courts. You're supposed to give your license back to the NDLS. So they hold it until such time as you are entitled to have it back. Of the 21,000 people ordered by the courts and told by the courts you're disqualified for any particular period of time, only a quarter of them gave it back. In total, the journal says that over the previous two years, 2021 to 2023, 32,700 drivers 
were disqualified. Now, a huge number of them didn't actually have licenses, and there was uh, most of them were for passing 12 penalty points, which carries a, a six-month ban. But over, th- but pretty much a third of people didn't have a license anyway. But that's a huge figure. Disqualified from driving, 21,000 people. Handed over their license, 5,000 people. So that's 15,000 people or more still carrying a driving license that they weren't entitled to be carrying. And driving, of course, while disqualified, well, that's a serious offence. You can do six months in the clink for that, or you can be fined five grand. Now, Leo, Leo, you're, you're a member of the Irish Road Victims Association. And tell me about your daughter, Mastia. I hope I have her name correct, Mastia. You she, did. Yeah, fair play. She not many get it right. <laughs> she, yeah. she died when? Marcia died on the 22nd of October, on October 2005, and she was knocked out on the 16th okay. by a driver who was serving a driving ban who's already disqualified from driving. Yes. So these figures are really two, personal to you? They are, yeah. yeah. And two weeks after she killed my daughter, she nearly killed another young girl in Belfast the same way. Yeah. And uh, it really angers me when I hear stuff like this here and and then you hear the politicians and you hear the justice systems telling us that they're, they're very serious about road, road fatalities and where's the proof of it? I don't see any proof of it. Mm. As far as I know, when you're disqualified, when you're appearing in court, you're supposed to bring your license with you. That's right. And if those people haven't got their license with them, I don't, I can't see a problem why they're not detained until that license is produced. Or you then have two or, weeks, I think if you don't bring it with you to court, you yeah, then have it's, two it's weeks to surrender yeah. it. And then, uh, as uh, I heard on the, someone from the AAS, you said that the, the chances of someone even going after them because of that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's just the court service don't bother chasing after it then. Yeah. And they know, so they know they're going to get away with it and so they do it. And until that loophole, until they put a stop to that there, it's going to continue. And then if you're stopped at a checkpoint three or four weeks after you have a license to show the guard unless they decide yeah. to go checking they're not going to find out that you shouldn't have that license and you should be off the road. Yeah, It's, yeah, it's a it's voluntary system, Leo, which sounds <coughs> off to me. I don't know if it sounds off to you. Oh, it sounds crazily off to me. Like it's, How are they going to prove that you're disqualified from driving the note to check your license? And every checkpoint your license should be checked. Should be, you're supposed to carry a driving license which at all times when you're driving Correct. and if you haven't got it you're supposed to be a fine Correct. and uh, as for the guys that are just driving while they're still disqualified like to me if they're caught they should have the cars confiscated and destroyed cars should be taken off cars should be taken off them and destroyed and maybe then they'll stop and think about driving while they're disqualified yeah because I, I I doubt very, very much. I'd love to see the figures on how many people that are actually do the six months in prison or get the five thousand euro fine. I'd like to see those figures, and I guarantee you they're very, very, very small. Well, well, I can tell you in my time as a court reporter, and I did about twelve to fifteen years as a court reporter. I did dozens and dozens of road traffic 
cases, some of them very, very, very serious. And I don't think I ever saw anyone jailed for driving while disqualified. They were fined, and but they weren't fined five grand either, you know. But I never saw them no, jailed. No, you never get it. If you went out, if you went out and robbed the store today, you get you get a longer sentence. Than you would no, if there was another charge, if there was another charge on top of that one, then they might do time. But I don't think I ever saw anybody jailed for driving while disqualified. No. And I don't think you ever will, because the judges are too soft. They take the excuse: uh, How am I going to support my family? How am I going to? How's my wife going to get bring these children to school? All these things should be. <laughs> It shouldn't concern the judge. The judge should just consider the lives he could be saving by keeping this guy off the road. These people need to be taken off the road. No, no, there's no ifs or buts about it. They need to be if they're disqualified. They're disqualified for a reason, yeah. and they should be taken off the road because until until the the parents are there, until the, the judges start start handing down proper sentences, we're going to be talking about this every couple of months. Because one per- a person is dying every two days on our roads. It's 33 that have died so far this year. That's three up, or three up already on last year. And these are families. These are people. It could be your family. It could be another person. I, I just Leo, Leo, Leo. I attended my fer- my friend, my colleague Fergal, and I myself both last evening attended the removal of a dear friend of ours who has passed away as a result of a road accident. So it's, this is this is raw at the moment for a lot of people, for you, yeah, for and, your and, reasons, and, for and, us, and, for everyone. And you, and, and you see the number of people that affects us. It's just not that person, in, in, God forgive me, in, in the coffin. It's a whole circle of family and friends and it, it affects everybody. And that, the pain just doesn't go away. Like whenever I hear of another road death on the roads, it, Bring us back that week, Marcy in hospital. I don't want to be thinking about that for, forever. Tell me about her. Tell me I about Marcia. Marcy, she was, she was, uh, she was my age. She was an angel. <laughs> she, she was born ten months after her sisters. There were they, and they were like twins. They did everything together, and she had her moments where she'd put on that sour face but most she was always a big smile on she was always playful she loved playing with her brothers and, and her sister and, uh, and all the kids on the street she was mad at the babysitting and the school when after Marcia died they all signed a, a book and they told us about a lot of stuff about her and things they would never have thought about Marcia just got a smile to everybody's face she had an infectious smile that just Laughed, that made everybody else laugh. And mm. one, of her, one of her friends told me the night she died, they were at they were, one night she was knocked down. She, they were at a 50th birthday party, and she said she'll always remember Marcy's laugh and how how she made other people laugh. And she just wanted me to know that at one point of that day, that Marcy was happy and she was having fun. Yeah. And 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 the person who knocked her down, the person who knocked her down. Did, did did that person do any time? Did they get any sentence? She got ten, she got ten months. She was sentenced to twelve, but she got ten months for careless driving, driving out tax, driving out insurance. She wasn't even charged with Marcy's death. She wasn't even charged with dangerous driving causing death. 
even though Marsh was crossing the road, I set up a desk in traffic lights. And the forensic detective told me there's no way Marsh's injuries could have been caused by a car driving at the proper speed limit. Ten months. And as you said, she was disqualified at the time. Yep, she was. She had about 30 or 40 other previous convictions against her as well. And that's our justice system for you. God. She kills my daughter and gets 10 months. A man, a man last week steals 13 million, 13 million, he gets seven, 13 years in prison. Yeah. No, no, I, I have to say when I read this in the journal, and in fairness to them, of all of our news outlets, when they dig into figures, there's very few to beat the journal, and they went digging into these figures, and if you'd asked me a week ago, Leo, to guess how many people were disqualified by the courts who actually gave up their license, I might have said 60%, 70%. It's less than 20, it's less than 20%. And if the government government don't take action now about this, uh, there's the, there's the Justice Department need to step up here and, and show that they're absolute that they are serious and prove to us that what they say that they're going to do they're going to do they, they need to do it now Jack Chambers the is the appropriate minister at the moment I think I think it's Jack Chambers isn't it the transport but I think that's probably the, just probably the Justice Department probably dealing with that well, he's responsible for there. the driving licenses and that kind of thing so yeah, like it, surely there's got to be Surely there's got to be more powers of enforcement that if you're if you're disqualified today in court and you don't have your license with you, you don't get to leave until someone gets the license or something like that. I don't know. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with hundred. I agree with you. Or, or a ga- or, or the or the court will say to you that on such and such a date, a guard that will call to your house. And you must. I know. I know that sometimes they do not in serious cases, but they do sometimes allow a person who is going to be disqualified. And I have seen this. They'll sometimes give them maybe a month or six weeks to to put their affairs in order, so they can organise someone else who might drive, transfer insurance, or in the case of a business person, I remember it happened to. This is ten or twelve years ago now. They, they were given time to hire a driver. And they were, they were still allowed to drive? That, until that, till they found? I think they were, yeah. The ban came into him. See, the ban doesn't come in to force until yeah. the NDLS have your driver's license. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that, I don't see that, that how. What if he killed someone in that week that he was at the week or there that month? Go. There you go, there you go, there you go. No, I, this is, this. The, the numbers are shocking, Leo, and I mean, they're shocking to me just your, as someone your, your reading first them. Op, your, first, your, your first option was the, the best way, because if you're waiting on a guard to call to someone's house, that, that will probably never happen. It's not because its guards aren't there, they're on the staff, but you might have other, more, other, other stuff to do, and they're just... Be aware of them, what your first system was. Well, the other way of doing the other way of doing it is then to give to give the individual with uh, John Murphy or Mary O'Sullivan say, right, Mary O'Sullivan, I'm I'm disqualifying you for driving for a year, and you're to present yourself. You have your license, which you know you haven't, right? You're to present yourself no later than forty eight hours from now at such and such a guard station. If not, we'll be issuing a bench warrant. Yeah, that's one way. Another way to do it. 
you know? It's hard to get tough with it. And also with the solicitors. And let, let's let's not let them off with a free pass here either, Leo, because the solicitor yeah. who's dealing with Mary Murphy or John O'Sullivan will have been talking to them before the case comes up and, listen, come here, you need to bring your licence in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They should. They should assure and assure them. They should be held responsible as well. Yeah. I agree. All right. I agree. You won't have any arguments from me there. Oh, I, know, I, didn't, I didn't think I would. Your your organisation, <laughs> the Irish Victim, Road Victims Association, you've got quite a few members now. Are you managing to affect change, Leo? Do you think people are listening? It's very. It's very disheartening to hear the figures now. But at one stage. We were doing so well. Yeah. And we were having an effect. Like when Marcia died, there was 396 people killed on, on the road that year. 2005. That was the number is half now with the population gone up, the number of cars gone up. So we feel like these days it's very hard to get through to the, the young people through radio, through television, because the. the Mostly into streaming services and uh, their music channels and stuff like that. There, yeah. But we do we do go around to schools and talk to students as well. And the RS the RSA are, are doing that as well. Have you presence on TikTok, Instagram, that kind of places? Yeah, don't we? We're on TikTok and Instagram as well. Yeah, it's important. It's important. Our our main aim. Are we Donna Donna Price founded Airbus? To help people get through the legal system, yeah, give them support that we didn't have, so they wouldn't have to go through the quagmire of the legal system like we did. We weren't really set up to campaign for road safety or to just stop drink drivers, with it, but but we we feel we have to. It's the only way that we can help people. Well, certainly, when you see numbers as stark as this, someone has to, to stand up and come around to our. We have a. World Day of Remembrance on the third Sunday of every November, we hold it in Mullingar, and yeah, yeah. people came to that. Maybe they'll, they'll stop, they'll stop and think, and okay, this is what this is the pain we're causing people. Maybe we'll change your habits. All right, and Leo, I need to change your habits. I'll leave it there with you for now, and uh, my thoughts with you. And uh, nineteen years on, I imagine it never gets easier. Not just one day it doesn't get easier. Lost his daughter, Marcia. She was just 16 in 2005. Knocked down by a person who was banned from driving at the time, having previously been convicted of drink driving. That person got 10 months in prison. And the reason we're talking to Leo is because of the figures. I give them to you again in case you missed them. The journal.ie did some good research on this. And between the years 2021 to 2023, that's up to the end of last year, 21,000 people who had a license when they were banned. Only 5,000 of them gave the license up as is required by law. That's less than a quarter. 21,000 people banned. Less than a quarter of them gave up their licenses and could drive away. Cars in the driveway, licenses in the wallet, What's the chances of Anthony happening? They were able to drive away. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. As we talk about that, we're thinking of another young person uh, lost on the road. His name Dara Delay. He was one of two people who died in a car crash in County Limerick on Tuesday. He was twenty. 
came from uh, near Clonakilty. He died in a crash uh, in a place uh, near Askeaton in County Limerick. Um, another young man, Killian Kerwin from Kilkenny, uh, was also killed in that crash. Two others injured, one from Charleville, one from County Offaly. They were all going to college at the Agricultural College in County Limerick. That's another accident. And then, as I said to you, last night, myself and Fergal attended the removal of our dear friend, Sheila Dunn, uh, who lost her life in a car accident recently. And in fact, uh, the guards are still seeking information on that crash, which happened on the 11th of February. It was a Sunday, quarter to eight, up near Glenmire, up near Sarsfields Court in Glenmire. That investigation still ongoing. And the guards looking for any information, looking for any road users or pedestrians who were around, looking for any dash cam footage. As that investigation continues, Sheila will be laid to rest this afternoon. There's a funeral mass and she'll be cremated at the island. And the devastation last night at that removal. There are no words. There are no words. 0818-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96
and I know that you yourself, you, you have a law degree going back a bit, Donald. Is it even legal? Good morning. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I suppose you'd have to see the contracts and all that kind of stuff. Um, like, there, 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 there certainly may be a question over it. But, like, I mean, I suppose my issue with it is primarily the moral question. Um, these are people, as you say, you know, they, they, they were among the last to get the COVID bonus, but they were entitled to the COVID bonus because, you know, amidst all that time when we talked about frontline heroes and all the rest of it, like, these were people who were coming into the hospitals, making sure that they were clean, hygienic and well-served. Uh, at a time of great pressure on the system and at a time um, when probably COVID wasn't understood and that they were, they would have been worried and all the rest of it. These are people who, even outside of that environment, are absolutely crucial to the functioning of it, uh, of our hospitals. They are very often some of the first in, some of the last out, um, working hours that are, are antisocial at times um, and not exactly the best paid in the hospital by any manner or means. And sometimes um, mopping up things the rest of us would walk away from. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And like, look, we've all been in the hospitals and the CUH and the Mercy and very often, like, you know, these are, they spend a bit of time chatting to patients and an awful lot of them really lovely people, but they are essential in the functioning of it. I don't think that they deserve this kind of treatment, to be honest with you. Um and and not to absolve CUH in this, but this does come back to the government fundamentally, right? And from a CUH point of view, like there might be different things that they could do. You'd have to, I suppose, get under the bonnet and really look at the operation in the hospital to understand that. But fundamentally, they have been prevented from hiring new staff uh, in a way that's arbitrary, in a way that doesn't make sense, in a really blunt instrument kind of way. The government didn't provide anywhere near enough the funding we would we believe that there was about 1.1 billion additional needed to allow for demographic growth and additional recruitment to to tackle the gaps that have existed. Some gaps have existed since the recession. Uh, government only allocated 100 million extra. So in that context, the HSE said, "Okay, we're going to put in place an embargo." Like we saw it during the recession, it's a really blunt instrument. It doesn't take into account mm. the fact well, that well, apart from housekeeping staff not getting their holidays, which is serious enough in itself. You also have consultants who leave and don't get replaced. You have registrars, you have nurses who leave and don't get replaced. A person moves on, as people do, to a brand new job somewhere else. They won't be replaced. Exactly, exactly. And, like, I mean, it doesn't take into account the fact that before the embargo, there would have been big gaps in staff. So we're seeing impacts of this in terms of service provision. And, like, some of the issues that we're very concerned about here in Cork is the issues in relation to the waiting list and home help, which is way, way above anywhere else in the country, way above. There's huge issues in terms of dentistry, really, really long to get a dentistry appointment and big gaps in recruitment there. But just from the, like, so this has implications for patients and it has implications for waiting times for people. It has implications for how long people are waiting uh, to for for routine appointments as well as things like surgeries. Um, but for these housekeeping staff, like as I say, they're hardworking, they work anti-social hours, they're not the highest paid and they're effectively being told. Uh, and, you know, they're talking about the next few months. But my understanding is this stretches well into and maybe beyond the summer. Like these are people who are working hard and they're being told you can forget your holidays now. You can take a day or two here if you really, really need to know. Yeah, let, let's, um, let's read it. Let's read it, uh, Dorica, in detail again for people who might have missed it. We kindly request that you only apply for leave if it's absolutely necessary as we will not be able to cover all requests due to the shortage of staff. Now, this is the bit that I hate. We appreciate your understanding during this difficult time. What option are they giving people is my question there. 
And we hope you will continue to support the team throughout the coming months. Now, I hate that wording because that whoever wrote that is saying to someone, come here, you might have a little holiday booked now for yourself and your family uh, in, the, in the summer. If you take that now, you're letting down the team. Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose that... I hate that, like, Yeah, look, very often, unfortunately, from a HSE point of view, um, these people are the, the lowest priority, and we saw that again with the with the COVID bonus. And, like, again, I don't think there's enough respect being shown for how crucial a role that these people play. Um, you know, they, they, they work extremely hard, and they don't get a huge amount of money for it. The, the least they deserve is the opportunity to have their break whether it's on midterms or the summer holidays or whatever, or, you know, going away for a relative's wedding or whatever, things like that. Like, I mean, just that's part of normal life. Nobody's expecting anything unreasonable. They have their amount of, they have a limited number of annual leave days that they can take. Um, they would have to book them and all that kind of stuff. But at the minute, even that isn't possible. And I just think um, in the context of the work they do, that isn't fair. Like, look, as I say, not to absolve CUH uh, management in this uh, or even HSE management, probably more particularly, but like where this actually comes back. Well, it comes back to both the well, HSE see, here's the and thing. the Minister for Health and the Minister for Health. Like, I mean, there Every, is... the, the, everyone's complicit in this, because if you ask me, Donoghue, and I'll move on. Thank you for that, Donoghue, Irish and Fain TD for Cork South Central. Management at CUH have not got clean hands here, here either, because in my mind... This is just me. This is just a goal on the radio. Send this, right? In, instead of writing to the housekeeping staff and saying you can't take your holidays, they should be getting on to the upstairs and saying, come here, we've staff who can't take holidays. Give over. Our staff are entitled to their holidays. They work damn hard, ridiculous hours. We don't pay them a whole pile as it is. Now we're telling them we can't take their holidays? That's not a discussion to be had with the staff. That's a discussion to be had with people upstairs. But anyway, let's just check and see, is this letter even legal? Cleanly Kenny is an employment law specialist with Cummin Kelleher Tobin Solicitors. Cleanly, she was on the line there, she's gone. Let's let's see if we we can get her back. I'll read it one more time. It says, we regret to inform you, the approval of annual leave requests would be very limited for the next few months due to an embargo. As a result of this embargo, we're unable to hire any new staff to cover for existing leave. We kindly request you only apply for leave if it's absolutely necessary, as we'll not be able to cover all annual leave requests due to the shortage of staff. We appreciate your understanding during this difficult time, and we hope you'll continue to support the team throughout the upcoming months. Thank you for your understanding. Best regards, and it's signed, and the person who signed it was just doing their job, so I'm not going to get stuck in them or use their name. Unfortunately, we were going to talk to uh, Cleaner from CKT. We'll see if we can again in a few minutes. Let's go back to, though, and we will, I promise, if we can, uh, talk to Cleaner. Let's go back, though. I pulled this this morning because I was thinking of him, and I was saying, <laughs> what would he say? Uh, do you remember the the late great Richard Grogan? He was a regular on this program um, as an employment law solicitor, and he had this lovely way of of putting it um, when he felt employment law was being broken. Now, this doesn't address the exact nature of a letter like this because poor old Richard is no longer with us and and he's missed very much. But he was addressing problems to do with. 
employment and holidays. This is a clip from... God, this goes back about a year or two. Yeah, here we go. Oh, it's a beauty. It's the employer who says, oh, well, I'm not letting you take your holidays. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pay you for the holidays that you couldn't take. Well, that's illegal. And employers who do that will find themselves in a situation come the 1st of April, because that's when the claims can be taken, with a claim that says that they're paid, which is illegal, and you didn't get the holidays, which is also illegal. I.e. two compensation claims. That's the law, and that's a fact. Now, I'd prefer to have gone through his entire library of clips, but that's the one I could find this morning at short notice, saying that not, clearly suggesting that not letting people take their holidays is illegal. So I'll come back to that when we have uh, a solicitor that we can talk to. 0818 96 96 96 uh, a message in on this. Uh, housekeeping staff are treated like slaves. They're now being asked not to take any leave for the summer. Portering and catering got banding in their pay negotiations. They got banned three, we only got banned four. We're doing dirty essential work and not being treated right. Forgive me, I don't fully understand what banding is but I'm sure it's important. But again, there's different treatment for one section of staff and different treatment for another. My own memory of being in hospital last October for the few days I was in there, the housekeeping staff were just, the place would fall down without them. Yeah, of course you need doctors and of course you need nurses and of course you need all those people. But the housekeeping staff, the place would fall down without them. What do you mean? 0818969696. Staying with employment, I see this survey. Uh, I have never heard of this app, by the way, but that doesn't matter. It's called Pleo. It's a budgeting app, P-L-E-O. They did a survey across Europe, and they found that one in five companies are now looking at cutting the pay of staff who work from home. This is a real push that's going on to get people back into the office. People who've been doing their job perfectly well, meeting their deadlines perfectly well for the last number of years and are now quite happy working at home. Now there's an effort been made to force them back into the office and widespread and according to Plio, again, don't know who they are, one in five small to medium-sized companies in the EU are looking at cutting the salaries of people who work remotely. Not great. Not just class. Something definitely stinks about that letter. Cleaner isn't available to us. She's been called off on other business. That happens. It happens. But we'll see if we can get someone who can discuss the law about this with us because I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's legal. That letter. I'm not a lawyer. So I'm putting that out there purely as a layman, purely as a copshite on the radio. But I'm not sure that's legal to tell people. Unless you put, I did look up citizens' information this morning and I did look back at our own record over the years. There would have been times here over the years in the newsroom now, when we had a bigger newsroom, where we'd be coming up to an election and we might say, or management might say, look, lads, anyone who hasn't booked time off around the week before and after the election, could you kind of avoid taking time off while the election is on? That's okay. That's all right, because you know that's a fine idea. There's no fine. My understanding from Citizens Information this morning is that they should have put a finite letter on this date, on a finite date on this letter. So if they said up to maybe the 1st of June or up to the 1st of August or the 30th of September, then they'd have been fine. This is an open ended letter. This gives no time 
when you will be able to apply for leave again. So does this come to an end in September, October, Christmas, next year? When? I'd have questions about that based on what I had a look at on Citizens Information. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Course 96 FM Yeah, well, I will come back to that and that, that holiday leave and when you can take it and when you cannot and, and all of that because I'm convinced. I did look briefly this morning at Citizens Information about what your boss is entitled to do and look with the best intentions of the company or wherever you happen to be working if the boss thinks for example that it might not be a good idea if people went on leave in May and June then they can suggest to people that you don't go on leave in May and June unless it's already booked or unless it's absolutely necessary and they can say when normal booking of leave would return, say, on the 1st of July. But I'm not sure that this open-ended, endless embargo on booking your leave, I I, I think that's a dodgy letter. Uh, and that's my opinion, not uh, anybody else's. Uh, I'd love to get a union official or I'd love to get a legal, an employment law solicitor that we can talk to. As I said, Cleana no longer available to us, unfortunately, pulled away on other business. That happens. It's a busy job. Let us just see. Um, we 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 would have been on to Richie Grogan, God rest his soul, at half seven this morning, but unfortunately not there for us anymore. And my own dear friend John Boylan uh, was a great employment law solicitor. John has also retired, so we're 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 stuck for a go to when it comes to good solid employment law. Uh, we'll find somebody. I promise you, we will. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now Tony got in touch with us um, Tony you just want to take a few minutes of our time to ask people to have more respect for the guards and the work they do and the successes that they have particularly the recent one there with with all that crystal meth seized in Cork Port you're a man who has great time for on Gardaí Morning, Tony. Good morning. Uh, of course I do. Um, went off down the street the other night because I had to go up to the guards. Um, now, of course, I had to join the queue. There was no queue. <laughs> I thought they'd be queuing up to thank the guards for the wonderful work that they did. Stop the 33 million worth of, worth of um, crystal meth coming into the country. Fair to them. They did a great job. But the other thing, those, those guys are getting out tomorrow. Could you believe that? They're getting out tomorrow. Because the guards can't hold them. Well, we don't know whether they'll get out. They have to be, a decision has to be made whether they're released or charged. And the guards can go back into court to hold them for another few days because under Section That's 50, good. they have a right That's to hold good. them until the weekend. That's good. But That's good. Will you not want to be behind anyway, and move anyway, on? Yeah, yeah. I love the guards because they, they protect you. They protect you, PJ. And they protect the general public and they're at their own risk. And they're wonderful. They're great people. The guards are wonderful. You see, people should look at the guards as friends. Mm. The guards are a friend. They're a friend. They're not an enemy. They're only an enemy if you're breaking the law. You feel you're their enemy. Because they're, but they're only enforcing the law of the state. Because in 1922, they swore allegiance, and that's why the were formed, to, to protect the Constitution or enforce the Constitution. I think the guards are absolutely wonderful people. 
I mean, I couldn't stress it enough, you know. Mm. And the other thing is this. When I, be, when I become Taoiseach, you might laugh, but I'm not finished. When I become Taoiseach, I will bring in the death penalty and I'll bring in the birch and I'll give the Ga- and Garda Shea tremendous, tremendous hold, uh, rights and powers. Hold, hold on a second now. What would you bring in the death penalty for? I bring it in to stop these guys bringing the drugs in. You follow me? Now, you might never have to enforce the death penalty, but it's there. And it's a deterrent to them. A deterrent to them. And so somebody has to stand up. Now, so you have the death are, penalty for drug traffickers? No, 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 no. It's only a deterrent, but it's there. It's necessary. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you know Michal Martin? Michal Martin has a wishbone, not a backbone. I have a backbone, not a wishbone. And they're up there feathering their own nest and they're doing nothing on the open. Try boys or whatever down the marine, down the... Don't kettle around the boat and all that kind of stuff, take a bow. And in Patrick's day, they'll go way off out at our expense to all the different countries and have a great time, a couple of pints and so forth. Why does it bring the, why does it bring the guys over here mm. to save the expense? That's a point that's been made. Well, see, if you invite them over here, the only pushback against that one, Tony, is if you invite them over here, you have to pay for them. Yeah, but on God of Chicago, we'll protect them. We don't have to be getting in this private interest. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What would the you bring the birch? The, the, the birch? You're misunderstanding me. I'm not saying I, I'm going to bring it into... I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it in as a deterrent. Where I'm going, I want to give the ungodly corner tremendous more power. They should be able to send guys up to Mount Joy and be held there and bread in water. But we uh, you know why? Because they're bringing, they're bringing drugs in, crystal meth, and they're destroying our young people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on guard of Shikana, to me, are the best police force in the whole, in the whole world. I put it that way, Jay. That's how, how strong I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And Garda Shikana are, are really great people. And also the firefighters. They're, they're, they're fantastic people. They're a calibre above everyone else, you see. And, and, and of course, the ambulance crews. These people are, are risk their lives every day yeah. for us. You make the point, Tony, that you, there should be very strong punishments for anyone who attacks a guard or a firefighter or a paramedic in the course of their yeah. duty. Yes, of course. I tell you why. A friend of mine's son was going to become a guard. But he witnessed something. He witnessed these guys spitting on a guard. No, I tell you straight. If I was in charge, <laughs> if I saw a fellow spitting on a guard, he'd be arrested and he'd be inside prison before he knew it. At hard labour. Listen to me. I met a fellow the other day on the street. He got out of prison, Cork Prison. You know what he said to me? Cork Prison is like a five-star hotel. It's disgraceful. A prison is a place of correction. Mm. Not a place of relaxation where you can think about what you're going to do when you get out. Well, it's also a place of rehabilitation where you might change your ways, learn a new skill, learn a new trade and come out and never, never commit another crime, we'd hope. I'm all, I'm all for that. You're absolutely 100% right, uh, Peter. I'm 100%. That's 100 I agree with that. And give me another start. Give me, always give a fellow another start, you know? Mm. But, but on God, the are the greatest police force in, 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 in the world. I, I really feel that. I go up to them and I tell them, well, Tony, there's, a, there's a, certainly some talking points there. Uh, stronger punishments for people who would attack guards or paramedics or firefighters in the course of their duty. And bring drugs in, bring drugs in. That's and bring in drugs. You, you would have recourse to the death penalty, even though you might yes. never use it. Exactly. Correct right. and right. And same with, Correct the, and right. with the birch. Same with the birch. You might never use it, but you're there, it's there. And when, they get, when they're there, the guards have more power straight away. Fellas recognise the guards' authority is this straight away. But I, I think the guards should have more weaponry, number one. I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say they should be armed. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should, maybe they should. Maybe the guards should be have, have guns at this stage. Mm-hmm. And if people will say, oh, but the, the villains will get guns then. So what? 
Would you give them tasers? 100%. We'll put some of your thoughts out there and see what people think. Tony, thank you. God bless you. Good man. Uh, there's a lot there in what Tony is saying. Uh, some of it's a bit off the wall, but you know yourself now, should the guards have tasers in 2024? Should there be the death penalty on the books for certain crimes? He thinks the big drug traffickers there. And the birch. Now, the birch... I think that still they do they, they still do it in the Isle of Man, or is it gone? Basically, the birch is you whip you whip someone in the street. Um, I'd love to know what people think about what Tony had to say. He certainly has a great grow affection for the guards, which, to be fair, they do deserve. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie Corks 96 FM The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. Message here that says, PJ, if the staff can't get the holidays, they need to just ring in sick. There. That can bring other problems when you go to try and get paid afterwards, but it's a point. It's a point. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96, and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. That, of course, is the best way to get us. If you listen mostly on podcast or if you want to contact us out of hours or at the weekend, that email is always monitored. One of the three of us is certain to see it within 12 or at least 24 hours after you send that email, even at the weekends. So, yeah, opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, the the word is back after 11 o'clock, not after 10. After 11 o'clock, the word is back. There was a winner this morning, Sinead, picked up a €1,000 for correctly guessing that the word left out was Bovril. Yes, Ross Brown was mixing Bovril and Cocoa Pops in a mug. And Bovril was the word left out. And it was the most disgusting combination of foodstuffs anyone's ever heard. I thought it might roll for a bit, but it didn't. Fair play. Sinead won a thousand. We have 250 euro in a new word after 11 this morning. All right. 0818 96 96 96. Now there is a... Uh, a protest demonstration, call it what you will, coming up on the 2nd of March, which is Sunday week. Uh, it's being held at the Plaza City Hall between 11 and 1. The hope is and the plan is that there'll be other ones around the country uh, at the same time. Uh, as part of Eating Disorder Awareness Week and organised by Mind Everybody, uh, this demonstration will be about the shortage of services for people living or suffering with an eating disorder Uh, because we know there are thousands of them and only some of them ever get treatment and thankfully some of them do 
get good treatment and get cured and get their eating disorder under control. But there were so many people languishing in agony and their families desperately, desperately worried about them because they can't get the treatment. People are dying before their eyes and they can't get the treatment because the facilities are not there. So part of this event on the 2nd of March will be aimed at drawing attention to that and looking for more services for these people. Luna joins me. Luna, you had an eating disorder or developed an eating disorder when you were 12. How are you now? Good morning. Uh, hello, PJ. Um, yeah, I'm doing relatively well now. Um, I am mostly recovered from my eating disorder, um, but I'm still very passionate about it as it's something I struggled with for so many years. Yeah. And I have so many friends who are still struggling with the same problems. Would you care to sh- share that story with me? You discovered at 12 you had a problem. It, it dawned, did it dawn on you that you had a problem at 12? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew I had a problem. It's just I didn't have any willingness to get help at the time. Uh, the thing with eating disorders is, is it's one of the main conditions. There aren't many conditions where you don't want to get help. But with an eating disorder, that's often how it can present itself because the behaviours are so addictive. I guess you could compare it to being a drug addict and you don't want to get clean. It's very similar in that way. In what way did it manifest itself? Did you starve yourself or did you binge or what did you do? Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, it was, uh, at first it was restricting my calories and uh, an obsession with exercise as well. Okay. And how sick did you get? Um, I was, well, if I remember back, I guess I was missing a lot of school because I was just so weak and dizzy and obviously, you know, I was pretending if it was other things and whatnot because I didn't want to tell anyone. Mm. Um, I guess it was easier for me to hide um, because I wasn't sick then. And I guess that's an important part of our message as well, that there is no one shape to um, an eating disorder that some people are healthy weight, underweight, overweight, and you can still have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not always visible. That's that's important, yeah. At what point, you reached out for help eventually? Uh, yeah. Um, I suppose when I was around 16, I was struggling a lot with my eating disorder and also with depression. So I did tell my counsellor at that point I was referred to CAMS um and luckily I got in quite quick in comparison to some people because I was almost 17 and, you know, then I would have been waiting for adult services, so they wanted to get me seen. Um, so I was in counselling with CAMS for a while. I was also on a waiting list for CARIDS, which is the Child and Adolescent Eating Disorder Service in Cork. But unfortunately, I was on the waiting list so that's, long. That's that a new, by the way, Luna, that's a new one on me. I've never heard of that one before. Yeah, it's not very well known. I think it has only been established in the past few years and they do have quite small numbers they can take on okay. still. And okay, so there got, still is no service for adults. You got help around the time, 17, 18. But the intervening years between 12 and, and 18, let's, 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 let's focus on that. Do, do you know why it started? Um, 
personally for me, it was, I was bullied a lot when I was younger due to my weight and also around the age of 12, I got involved with online grooming, which was very traumatic for me and caused me a lot of mental distress. Okay. Yeah, and that's what you kind of put your disorders down to, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Mm. You mentioned as well that... An easy disorder is strange in that most people don't want the treatment. Does that mm-hmm. mean, Luna, that you are that some people know they need it, they know there's something wrong, but they don't want to get treated because because why? Um, I guess it's just it's like a drug. It gives people such pleasure to see the numbers on the scale going down to see oh I only ate this much today it becomes very addictive all those numbers um, it's like a drug that's the best way to compare it it's very comforting for people and obviously if people are losing weight and they're very happy they don't want someone to come in and stop that which is obviously what happens in treatment Yeah, and then you say you you take pleasure from the, the numbers on the scales going down, but, but surely when you look at yourself then and your bones are sticking out or whatever, mm-hmm. does what does the the evidence of your eyes from the mirror uh, in front, does that not, do you, or do you not see it? Yeah, for a lot of people, like uh, the term body dysmorphia, you might not see how other people see you, you might see yourself as bigger. And for a lot of people with eating disorders, once you're in it for long enough, the goals keep going down. Like you might start with a goal of being a healthy weight and you want to be underweight. Um, and because it's so, it, it, it develops in that way. And a lot of people, their end goal is to be skin and bone. And, you know, in certain places online, that's perpetrated a lot. Yeah. Um, that that should be what you should look like, especially as a teenage girl. There's a very dark community, isn't there, as well, Luna, mm-hmm. online? Yeah. Promoting anorexia. I've covered this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inspiration I, and other such websites. Yeah. yeah. I, have def- I definitely was looking into that a lot uh, during the worst parts of my eating disorder. Um, I think there's not enough of an effort by social media companies to take down those hashtags, those group chats. Um, Mm. They are very toxic. Um, It's essentially people with eating disorders supporting other people to get more sick um, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Question, did you know, say no, maybe when you're 15, 14 and a half, 15, did you know this was a sickness at that point? Yeah, I did. did. So you knew you were sick? Yeah. I was just terrified of the thought of having to gain weight or having to have normal eating habits. Right. And how did your family and your closest friends, I mean, they must have noticed? Um. Yeah, I... Did tell some of my friends before I would have told my parents and stuff. I suppose my parents was the main thing I was afraid of because obviously they would actually have the power to get me into treatment and stuff. 
um, well, if it existed, which it doesn't really, um, I suppose with parents and stuff, there isn't a lot of education that generation wouldn't have been taught about a lot of mental health conditions, specifically this, because it's so it's so complex and confusing. And I really think um, that's one of our goals for the protest as well, is that the services would kind of be educating families more because it's very confusing to them, like, why won't my child just eat? Yeah, why won't she just eat? She's, she's fading away to skin and bone before my very eyes. It's clear she's hungry. But mm-hmm. yet, I make her a dinner and she won't eat it. She's mm-hmm. clear she's hungry. Mm-hmm. Must be very hard, like, for a parent. Yeah. I mean, I'm a parent myself. You know, the one thing that you would do for your children, whether they're seven or 27, is mm-hmm. you ensure they have enough to eat. Yeah. You know? And your mother your mother or father must have been there going, but, but Luna, you're not eating. You must be hungry. Yeah. Would you not yeah. eat? They what, were what would sure. you say? To, what would you say to them when they'd say, "Would you not eat?" Um, a lot of times I'd make excuses. I'd pretend I had a little bit extra earlier, or occasionally, a lot of people do this. You kind of pick at it and maybe eat a few bites and then throw it away. Did you hide food? Um, sorry. Did you hide it? Uh, yeah, on occasion, um, and then I guess. When my eating disorder kind of developed, I also developed um, bulimic tendencies. So then it was, yeah, I can eat the food, but then I can get rid of it Deforged. in a sense. Yeah. So 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 to mom or dad, but that's big mm-hmm. mom. To mom, mom put the dinner in front of you, bit of yeah. shepherd's pie, and you you ate the shepherd's pie. Mom yeah. smiled and was happy and said, "My little girl is eating. I'm delighted with life." Mm-hmm. And then you went upstairs and purged. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the case, I suppose. So that got it mama off your back, but brought another problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is incredibly dangerous. Um, oh, yeah. It's for your stomach and your liver and everything. Yeah. And knowing in yourself that you're sick, you were you ever, were you very afraid of... Of that, did did you think that it would kill you, or did you think that there was no hope? Um, I guess I also struggled a lot with depression at the time, as a lot of people do. So I honestly don't think I would have been too concerned if it did kill me, because I was in that headspace where I didn't really care if I died. Okay. And what about your friends, Luna? We all have. That one friend, or we all should have had that have that one friend, who will, as they say, tell you not what you want to hear, yeah, but what you need to hear. Did you have that one friend who said, "Come on, Luna, this this is wrong. This isn't. There's something." Yeah. Did you have that friend? Yeah, I, I suppose I did, um, and uh, I, I guess my main, my best friend. She also has struggled with an eating disorder, but we're both, obviously, we, we don't perpetrate that onto each other. We're very supportive towards sure. each other. And because she knows what it's like, it, it was nice to have that. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Did you push people away then when they tried to 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so at times, especially my parents, I get into a lot of big arguments with them about it. I'd be like, I'd pretend I want to go to sleep instead of having my dinner or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you think back on your, when you think back on 16 year old Luna now, what do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, I have a lot of empathy for that part of myself. Um, and I kind of feel a little bit angry that I wasn't, when I tried to access the help, that the help wasn't necessarily there. Yeah, yeah. So that comes that, it's a bit like addiction services, isn't it, Luna? Because there you were, the day arrived, the moment arrived when you said, I need help and I need it now. It wasn't there. Yeah. And in that moment then, if you didn't get the help you needed, you could be back to square one overnight. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, deciding you need help and like, you know, friends and family was the reason I recovered. But it would have been so much easier if I had counselling specific to eating disorders. Yeah. Explore that with me. It's not there, is it? Specific eating disorder counselling, no? Uh, unless you're going private, really, no. There is this uh, child and adolescent service, but that is very low numbers. There's no, it would in Cork anyway, there's no um, eating disorder service for adults. Um, and even the main uh, mental health services are not very educated on eating disorders. Uh, my experience with the main adult service was a lot of you don't really have an eating disorder, you're not thin. Um, and even GPs, I find, I think GPs should have a lot more education on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I heard that said before, Luna, that a nurse said to a young woman, well, you couldn't possibly have an eating disorder, your normal weight. Mm-hmm. But uh, not realizing that an eating disorder is purely based on your brain, on your thoughts, not on your weight. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm glad to know that you're well now. Um, but here's the thing: is what? What may I ask? What age you are now? I'm nineteen. You're nineteen. Oh, good. So you're in good shape now at nineteen. So you, it's 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 recent enough. Um, yeah. You'd be a digital native, I think, is fair to say, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. Right. Do you think that the online space, Luna, is dangerous for young people who might be like yourself, yeah. who, like you were at 12, who might be yeah. vulnerable? Yeah, definitely. There are. So if you're a vulnerable young person who maybe doesn't have many friends, has gone through bullying, there is a lot of threats like these communities that can reel you in and become a safe place. And uh, a lot of times it's, oh, these people want me to do this and these people are my friends um, and I don't have any other friends, so this must be right uh, and happen. And even just, even when you go to the general media, the... Uh, prevalence of diet culture uh, that yeah. can be quite extreme, can be very triggering 
for and models that are skin and bone being shown in every magazine. Yeah. How do, how do you feel, for example, Luna, about something like Operation Transformation on the telly? Um, I think at times it is fine, but I've, I've definitely, I used to watch that a lot with my parents. I've definitely seen some moments over the years where uh, you could look at that as a person with an eating disorder and say, wow, they really are not being mindful about what they're saying to these people and how it could affect their mental health. Yes. Time. The vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Come back to the online space and the young person. I was interested in something <laughs> you said there. You said that the young person who's vulnerable, that they'll come across an online group and, yeah. you know, the message will be, well, look, you don't need other friends. You don't need other people. We're your friends. And guess what? All those problems you have, they'll go away if you lose the weight. Yeah. They'll yeah. go away if you're thin. They'll go away if you're... Is that kind of thing out there? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, very prevalent on... Um, there's an app called Kick. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but that is a very toxic space for that kind of thing. What's also, it called, um, Luna? Uh, K-I-K is K-I-K. the name K-I-K. of it. It's a messaging yeah. app. I remember it years yeah. ago coming yeah. across it. I had an That's account me. for... I had an account on it for a, t- a time and then I deleted it because yeah. I thought it was fairly useless. But that's, yeah. That's one of the places that's very prevalent as well. That app is uh, chaos it, it, with uh, p- pedophiles and those sort of groups and uh, pro-suicide messages and whatnot. Um, but it's on, it's on the general apps as well. Like if you search hard enough, it's on Instagram, it's on TikTok. Telegram? Uh, yeah, probably because that's quite encrypted. So you know, yeah. people would like to go there. Yeah, or TikTok. I'll, you'll find I'm I'm, a, I'm just more a, I'm more a, a viewer than a user of TikTok, <laughs> and I think God Almighty, anything you want is on TikTok to the point of anything that yeah. you should never be allowed to see. It's on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of controversies about, you know, videos going out of people committing suicide and they take too long to take them down and whatnot. What about Instagram? Um, Yeah, it would probably be on there too. I think usually the mainstream apps are pretty quick to take down certain hashtags that would have this context in them, but then uh, usually the communities will adopt like some sort of code word that seems innocent and then posted under that mm, they'll say they're a bit more yeah there are certain hidden messages code words code hashtags that mm-hmm. kind of thing pictures embedded pictures or whatever that, yeah yeah there's the kind of the gateway to a secret community is is there it's more yeah. on the, more on the off means like so so you're, so you're 19 now and mm-hmm. you say that you're well which is fantastic um but to come to the event that's on the 2nd of, of, of March, you mm-hmm. believe at 19, the fact that you're well, you're one of the lucky ones, and it's oh, not so much thanks to, it's despite what's out there. Yeah, completely. And, like, I'm one of the lucky ones, but, like, I, in, in that way, I don't think it's... 
I, uh, recovering from an eating disorder isn't a straight thing. I still have bad days, and even when I'm eating normally, I'm still thinking about it a lot. Okay. Um, and all that would be so much easier if I had someone to talk to about it who was trained in it. Yeah. But there's a thing. Some people, you mentioned that you get addicted to the feeling. Mm-hmm. And you said earlier on that some people get so addicted to that feeling that they don't get treatment sometimes until it's too late. Like, yeah. if you're an alcoholic, you stop drinking. If you're a drug addict, you stop taking drugs. If you're a gambling addict, you stop gambling. We have mm-hmm. to eat to live. That must make yeah. it doubly hard to deal with this. Um, yeah, because, um, you know, food food is everywhere. Uh, all, a lot of menus nowadays have calories on them um, or you can search it up quite easily if not, yeah. um, which can be very triggering uh, for some people. Because we've become, we have become obsessed with calorie menus, calories being on, on menus. And somebody wanted, I don't know if they did, but somebody wanted to make a law out of it a few years ago. Yeah, to, and I can see their point in terms of obesity and whatnot, but all angles need to be considered in terms of how this can affect thousands of people across the country who are struggling with similar things. Mm-hmm. So what, if you were to give me three things... Luna, that you at 19 now, and thankfully, and as I said, I can't say enough how delighted I am for you that you're doing well. But you at 19 now that you're doing... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Well... Give me three things that maybe three or four years ago might have helped you. Um, so to have a obviously a shorter waiting list on the service that was there, for sure. Um, to have the professionals um, trained in the fact that uh, it isn't just anorexic people who are underweight who have eating disorders. Um, and also, I suppose, to give families uh, that have eating disorders within them more training. Mm. And is it something, lastly, we talk about, again, bring it to an, an addiction situation. Mm-hmm. Good addiction therapies deal with the family as a whole. Yeah. Should should treating should eating disorder treatment plans involve the family as a whole so that they understand what's going on? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, uh, you, I mean, when I hear about the treatments in other countries, usually that is how it works. There will be um, group sessions with the family and, you know, maybe educational courses for the family and whatnot. I spoke to somebody one time, Luna, who had been dealing with an eating disorder, a bit older than yourself now. Mm-hmm. They were in a good place when we spoke, but they reminded me that, look, we've now been talking for 15, 20 minutes. I need to gather myself together now to get on with the rest of the day so I don't slip. So I hope that that's not the situation for you, that talking to me and being as honest and open as you have been, I hope you'll be okay now for the rest of the day. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in recent times with promoting the protests and stuff, I've gotten quite used to talking about my experience. Good. And I, I find it so important that I do. It does cause me a little bit of discomfort, obviously, but I think that discomfort is very much worth it to get the message out there. Okay. I wish you well with your continued recovery and, and uh, your continued attempt to bring awareness to this. Luna, thank you so much. 0818 96 96 96. We will podcast that interview immediately after the show. Uh, the Eating Disorder Awareness Week is in March and the 2nd of March, City Hall campaigning for more services. I'll take a quick break and I'll go through just a list of some of the stuff that they're looking for. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Among the things they're looking for and we'll be talking about at that event on the 2nd of March, Sunday week, will be more direct access, early intervention, Cutting of waiting lists, support for carers and families, more inpatient facilities, extra beds, more recruitment of staff who actually understand eating disorders. There's a big long list. They'll be at City Hall Sunday, 11 to 1. It's also a reminder to mention to you BodyWise. We've spoken to them before. Wonderful organisation, BodyWise, uh, about dealing with eating disorders and if you've concerned about anybody or you're concerned about yourself, bodywise.ie, B-O-D-Y-W-H-Y-S, bodywise, and Alex, A-L-E-X, at bodywise.ie. 0818 96 96 96. When you sent the smallies out to school this morning in their uniforms, do they like their uniforms? Do they hate their uniforms? Think back to your own time when you were going to school. How did you feel about your school uniform? I went to Cree Street and we wore a grey pants, a grey shirt, a school tie and a horrible saggy old bag of a jumper that was no good to you in the wintertime. Couldn't protect you from any cold at all. And in the summertime, it just stretched like an overused bag. The elbows would give away. That kind of thing. And then your mother, because back then my mother did, your mother would knit you a green jumper with the right colours in the collar. And they'd say, no, take that off you. You have to have the school. I hated my school uniform. With a passion, so I did. Um, I had no, no school uniform in primary school. And then we had a school uniform in secondary school, and I hated them. Emma D'Souza, writing in The Examiner, 
this week about that particular question. Is it time to do away with the traditional school uniform? Shirt, tie, blazer, pants or skirt for the girls, regular shoes, that kind of... Is it time to completely do away with the traditional school uniform? Emma, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, look, I think that there's a conversation to be had over what purpose do uniforms serve if there's no irrefutable evidence that they benefit young people. Um, and of course, there is the the challenge that parents often face every year with trying to afford getting the annual school uniform. Then, you know, why do we have them in the first place? There are now over 37,000 young people in Ireland going to non-uniform schools. Sky has not fallen in. And actually, lots of countries do not have a uniform policy. So I think it's a good conversation to be had over whether or not they are actually serving any purpose. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be very happy going into work every day stuck in a shirt and a tie and a rigid blazer and probably be quite uncomfortable. And most workplaces these days do not have a dress code or politicians don't even have a dress code. So why are we forcing our children to? Mm. You you make the point in in your piece that in the United States, for example, and in many European countries, in public schools, uniforms are no longer required one of the things that I hated about them was they were uncomfortable and didn't, mm-hmm. you know. But one of the things I found practical when my own children were going to school was you didn't have to go through the routine every day of what am I going to wear today. It was there on the bed. It took five yeah. minutes. You put your uniform on and when you came home from school, you took it off. There was a practicality to it. Yeah, I think that um, the challenge there is that the idea of not wearing a uniform, which is at the weekends or after school hours, is a novelty then because it's not normalized. And, you know, young people, just like the rest of us, PJ, have comfort clothes. We have the clothes we wear to death. We have the clothes we wear all the time. And once you sort of normalize that practice of wearing your own clothes, uh, young people, you find just something the same routine as the rest of us. And the novelty is gone and it becomes just wearing what's most comfortable on a daily basis. At least that's what some of the reports show and the research shows around how other countries operate in that way. If you talk to teachers, and and I have, they will say to you, well, the thing is, particularly with teenage girls, and that's not, being, that's not being sexist in any way, that's what comes back. They say, particularly with teenage girls, it becomes a fashion show. They're trying to best one another. And having the uniform cuts that out. Yeah, I come back to that point again around the novelty of this, PJ, you know, like uh, there's lots of policies that can be brought into place around designer labels, for example. Lots of European countries have rules around you can't have X, Y, Z in terms of the clothing attire in the school system. And, you know, maybe people get excited on the first day back to school as to what their first outfit's going to be. But like I say, uh, you know, evidence shows people slump into routines just like the rest of us. And I think that, you know, a big part of it here is comfort as well. It's if the uniforms don't serve any real purpose, if they don't benefit young people in terms of educational achievement, in terms of reducing bullying, because we we can see that actually the countries that have the lowest level of bullying are the countries that don't have uniforms. So if they're not providing any kind of benefits in terms of that way, but they are forcing young people to conform into a rigid idea of, of dress codes, if they're making them uncomfortable, if they're stifling creativity, it's kind of a pros and cons approach here. And I think that if you look at it from that perspective, there's not really a purpose to them. Mm. Well, I get it that you know, there are not many jobs require a uniform, I suppose. Nurses, firefighters, guards, paramedics, 
there are soldiers, there are the Navy, there are jobs that require a uniform, but, but not too many of them. But in school, you learn that society will put rules on you. And one of the ways to learn that is that you have to put on the same clothes every day. Is that an outdated view? I think it's a very outdated view. And actually, if you look at the history of school uniforms, I mean, they originate from England um, and in the 16th century. And I did find in doing this research very interesting the uh, correlation between former British colonies having actually a uniform policy. So countries like Australia, India and Ireland still have this kind of public school, school uniform policy. And I found that quite interesting in terms of looking at through that prism. But it is an outdated idea because You know, increasingly we are in a society where people are not required to have to conform. Creativity is to be celebrated and stifling that in young people is not a good thing. We're asking them to have critical thinking, but then at the same time, we're telling them you have to conform to an outdated conservative uniform that is not actually going to be required in the real world. You're making the point as well. How does it enhance their learning of the various subjects they're doing in school if they are particularly stuffed into an uncomfortable uniform? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. There's not any evidence to demonstrate that it benefits educational achievement. And there actually, you know, is some um, data to suggest that it's really about the hidden curriculum, which is about discipline and about conformity. And oftentimes teachers get bogged down having to discipline students about school uniforms instead of focusing on the actual curriculum that we're trying to teach young people. So it kind of misplaces that um that work and gives added workload to teachers to have to, you know, enforce them. Would you expand it a little bit, Emma? Would you do away with rules that call for a particular type of shoe, a particular cut of hair, the ban on jewellery or piercings? Well, I think that uh, any kind of changes should be done um, with the cons- consultation with parents and also with young people. And I think that there are lots of ways that you can open this up in terms of taking steps towards having a more uh, open policy with the school. Um, you know, for example, we know some schools now opt to do tracksuits, which is much more comfortable. Mm. And I think that a first step in this really is talking about how do we do away with this practice of schools having these, you know, enormously expensive branded uniforms from everything from the blazer to the PE uniform, which yeah. puts a lot of pressure on parents? How do we move into at least a comfortable standardized system that is more open to having different interpretations? And I think it would be interesting, too, also to get some of the views and experiences of the parents and the teachers who are in the Educate Together schools who do not have uniforms mm-hmm. in terms of what they think the impact has been on young people. Lastly. The, the, the tracksuits are becoming more popular and you see more of them around. And again, looking back at my own children, when the tracksuit thing was just becoming a thing, so to speak, when they were in school, certainly they were more comfortable going in. The tracksuits were mm-hmm. easier to maintain, just fling them in the wash and they have them the next day. There's a practicality to a tracksuit that doesn't exist in a shirt and tie. Should we at least be looking to go there if not we eliminate the uniforms completely? Absolutely. I mean, that's a really logical step because it allows young people to be more comfortable in the education system. And it's also, you know, more practical in terms of cost and more practical in terms of upkeep. So at a first step, 100 percent, we should be looking at how do we make it more uh, comfortable for young people and more practical as well. So I think tracksuits are a great step in that direction and a wider conversation around what the purpose of uniforms is in general and why is it that we are still clinging to them is part of a bigger conversation. Emma, interesting talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.
Excuse him. That's Emma D'Souza who's writing about that in in the Examiner. Um, school uniform. I've never liked my school uniform when I was going to school. Never liked it. I was proud to wear the school colours, but I thought I could have done it in so many nicer ways. If I think back, to if they had tracksuits when I was going to school, I'd certainly have loved it. Um, Emma thinks they should just be done away with. They're outdated. They're old hat. Research or research would indicate that you don't learn your French or your history or your maths or your whatever any better just because you have a uniform on. Do you know, you don't do any better in primary or secondary school just because you have a uniform on. There's no evidence to suggest that it enhances the education or the learning in any way. So why would you bother shoving children into a uniform? Plus the fact that, within reason, I come in here to work every day and wear pretty much anything I want. So do most people in this building wear pretty much anything they want. I wouldn't be too happy about a dress code being being imposed all of a sudden. And Emma's saying, yet we impose it on our children. It's it's. We will podcast that afterwards, but I want to have a think about it now. Is it time to completely do away with them? I hated them, but when I had my own children, as I said to Emma, I could see the practicality of having them. What do you think? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining, and mattresses, over forty five years in business. Thefurnituresecentre.ie. Cox ninety six FM. The word is your chance to win free money on Cork's ninety six FM. Listen to Lorraine and Ross in the morning and all day to play our big cash giveaway. We've taken banter bits from the breakfast show and bleeped out a word. And out a word. It's doing my head in. I must have got a stretch here. I'm going demented with this. All you have to do is tell us the word. Tell us the word. For your chance to win the cash. Listen after 8, 11, 2 and 5 weekdays To play The Word The Word Only on Cork's 96FM Bit of response coming in to Emma I'll take some of your calls hopefully after 11 And certainly read out some of your comments And if you want to get voice note into me on school uniforms Yay or nay Is it time to do away with them Or at least just abandon the shirt or the skirt Or the trousers Or the joe And just Taxes, which is which is better? We'll come back to it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. But to return to something we discussed frequently over the last couple of weeks is the theft of cars, the breaking into cars, the taking of stuff from cars. Uh, I've seen this bit of CCTV, Georgina. Like this is this is brazen. What's going on at the moment? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, brazen. Um, seven o'clock in the evening. <laughs> Where did it happen um, and when? So it was in Uncashlawn in Balancholic, um, an estate um, there just kind of down the, the west side of Balancholic. Um, the, yeah, a bunch of lads, hoods up, the usual, um, basically checking every single car in the estate at between seven and half seven in the evening. Seven and um, half seven in the evening. Yeah, prime bedtime, um, bath time for parents. Um, so unfortunately, that's what was happening when um, they, the, the people whose car it was that you saw in the video um, 
they're good friends of mine. They were basically doing bedtime with their kids. And um, unfortunately, one of the cars was unlocked. And um, now all they got uh, from the car was a pair of the uh, real genuine fake Ray-Bans that you get from <laughs> Spain or whatever. So they, com, they yeah. want the pigs back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's all they got away with. But um in the footage you saw yourself, they, they, it's, it's, it's a well orchestrated, um, it's a well orchestrated thing. Like there's three, four of them come up, check each car in the driveway, bang, one of them is open, three of them get into the car and within seconds, yeah. you know, raided and gone. And that's the literally it, within uh, no attempt to start the car, no actual, no. did they do any damage inside? No, nothing, nothing, no, no, they were just looking for something easy. Yeah. And it just goes to show, I mean, like usually the prime hours of this kind of thing are between 3 and 5 a.m. or whatever, when they make sure that people are fast asleep and that there's going to be no disruptions or whatever. But I mean, if parents are doing bedtime with their children and their car is being robbed outside their house, we've got a serious issue, do you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you expect this thing to happen at one or two in the morning when most people yeah. are sound asleep. Not it's dead and, night. Yeah. But yeah, Not very worrying. Did they, did, did I, was the CCTV handed over to the guards? I am not 100% sure. I know the guards are aware of it. I would imagine most likely it was because I think a lot of the people in the estate have those ring cameras anyway. So it was probably a lot of the same footage from a row of houses because there's, there's probably near to 200 houses in that estate, you know. So yeah. um, a lot of people would have had the same kind of footage. But Was um, anyone else's car done that you know of on that evening? Not that I'm, oh, not like as in their neighbours would, um, their neighbours, they, they, the, the other people have footage, let's say, of them attempting it, but um, I don't know for sure if anything was taken or anything like that, you know, but um, they definitely were on a spree. They did the whole line of houses, probably about 30 houses, like just one after the other, yeah. checking the cars. Checking so. the cars, brushing up against them. Yeah. And there's the thing, when I had the, the crime prevention officer from Anglican Street on last Friday morning, is it Sergeant O'Sullivan? I think if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, he said, actually, there isn't much by way of fancy gadgetry being used to open doors or anything like that. People are just wandering along, check that old mm-hmm. door handle, click, oh, look, it's open, what's on the seat, grab it and run. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, I, I had told you only a couple of months ago I was on with you about my own car getting broken into That's my mother's right. car and they robbed, her, they robbed her credit union book. <laughs> Oh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but she still hasn't gotten it back. The guards still have it. But look, it just goes to show if there's something in the car, they'll take it. I, I mean, th- one's credit union book. Who knows? <laughs> they might think there's money in it. Georgina, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. So they're not even waiting now until the small hours of the morning. They're there in the evening time, half past seven, when they're putting the children to bed. Do you know, uh, some of the stuff the guards have uh, can't view the CCTV. It's so old. That's true, true. Um, these Amazon, what did they call them? Ring doorbells or ring things. A lot of those are very, very handy. Um, and a lot of things you hear at the guard, they don't have enough viewing equipment. So they you might have a very modern thing to record CCTV and you might say to the guard after your car is robbed or broken into, look, um, I have CCTV there. I have it from uh, an Amazon ring or whatever you want. 
you could have a situation whereby the poor old guard can't view it because the equipment back in the station is 1990s. And the other thing is, this is the best bit, GDPR, right? Here's the thing. If you see someone tonight breaking into your car, you might capture it on CCTV. There he is, breaking into your car, rubbing your laptop. First thing you'd be tempted to do is put his picture up on social media for the world to see and say, oh, this so-and-so robbed me car, keep an eye out for him. Be careful of that because you get this, right? If you put his picture or her picture, let's not be, you know, sexual sexist here. If you put their picture up on social media and say, this bozo broke into my car and they're identifiable, you've done them a data breach. I know, I know, I know. 
where 21,000 people had their licences suspended. They were disqualified from driving between 2021 and 2023. Disqualified from driving by the courts of Ireland. Only 5,000 of those 21,000 people handed over their licence as required by law for it to be cancelled. After you're disqualified in the courts, you have two weeks to hand up your licence. Of the 21,000 people who were supposed to do that, only 5,000 did it. The rest of them were free and easy and able to drive on the roads, even though they were disqualified. They were still carrying a licence. Now, Tasha, um, I've just been reading an article there during the news about what happened to to your family, your brother, your sister-in-law, and your two nieces. It happened in Scotland. Am I right, Tasha? Good morning. Yeah, that, good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it happened four years so, um, Hold on a second, Tasha. That no, that that line, that line my, my isn't isn't great. Was actually working um, up in the Fort William area, and my sister-in-law went to drive up to pick him up, and they were coming home. And it was actually the weather conditions that um, that's what you know. I don't think a lot of young drivers like are quite aware of the the weather conditions. Um, and whether to be like to slow down and stuff, but anyway, they were um, there was there were hailstones and they swerved and they hit an oncoming vehicle and they they were all killed instantly. Oh my! Oh my! There were only what there was. Reese was twenty five. Gemma was twenty six. Hayden mm-hmm. was three. Hayden was three. Yeah, was one. and Heidi was one. Yeah, yeah. They died instantly. Instantly. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was yeah. The de- the devastation is it's, it's the grief and everything that follows. Not you know for the, all the families and even the the driver of the other vehicle. Um, like she wasn't at, at fault. She just happened to be be in the wrong place at the in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. 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 I I have no words for how. Yeah. How did you find out first? Um, so it was late on. Uh, so I, I I wasn't long after having my daughter, and I obviously I live here in Cork. So my mum, I normally go to bed with my phone on silent, and for whatever reason, I didn't this this evening. And um, my mum rang, and it was just the most devastating phone call I've ever received so um yeah they they the police they obviously had to do their like it happened at half five in the evening but they had to obviously make sure that the identification and everything was correct before contacting any of the families and yeah so that 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 was about midnight that evening and um me and my husband just kind of packed our bags and started the the car journey over to scotland he drove over yeah we drove over, yeah, we did, yeah. Um, so we drove to Belfast and then from Belfast to Cairn Ryan on the ferry. And then it's another like five and a half hours on the other side. But the weather was just terrible. So it took like forever, you know, well, it felt like forever. That must be yeah. an, an awful drive, Tasha. How do you... you, you... Oh, 
I, you know, to be honest, it's all a bit of a blur. It's, um, you know, you kept thinking this this isn't happening this is not this is not happening this is not real uh, you know not that you wished it on any other family or anything but they've got it wrong um, but we you were know, you expecting it any stage a call you're, you're halfway up the motorway and the phone rings we got it wrong were you, were you even expecting that no no I was just kind of hoping when I got there it was just a huge like Mistake. You know, it was it was a huge mistake that they got. You know, um, but no, we got there and went with my mom to identify them. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four four years on now, we just had the anniversary. We just had an anniversary. Yeah, my mom and my two younger sisters. Um, they actually went back to the crash site on Tuesday to put flowers onto the tree. Um, just near. Yeah. By, um, and the, the police, the police and everything back in in Scotland, they were like they were helpful. They closed off the road just to give them some moments there. That was um, so yeah, no, my mum's yeah, no, they're they've been very good. They'll be very good to, like in that aspects. But yeah, no, my mum, um, she, she's you know she you don't only just feel for her, but she um, she's now raising a lot of awareness for first responders and doing a lot of charity um, events just to kind of keep their spirit alive, almost so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Tell me yeah. about tell me about them. Reese was twenty five. Your was he your younger or your older brother? Younger brother. Younger he brother. was um yeah, four years younger than me. He um oh he was oh he was he was a breath of fresh air to be honest. He wasn't he wasn't a perfect young man or anything, but he um he was doing his best for his family. He actually worked in traffic traffic management and so um yeah, the, the girls were, were everything to him. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture here from the Mm-hmm. Police Scotland, um, which the Guardian published, and there's a cheeky grin. Yeah, yeah, that was him. That was him. He and they were a good-looking was... couple. Yeah, very good-looking couple. Yeah, they were. Yeah, the um, the the everything, everything like their purpose in life was their kids, their their girls. Yeah. The girls were just everything. But um, you she, know, she was I mean, older I, by a few months. They'd been together for a few months. Were they together a long time? Yeah, they were together together eight years. Eight years, yeah. Um, married, uh, married five, I'd say. Childhood sweethearts, then practically. Um, yeah, yeah, they were, and you know, um, they're missed dearly. And my, I I went on to have another child, a PJ, and my son was actually born on my niece's birthday. Okay. So, I feel like there's a. A connection there. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. families, talking to Leo earlier on this morning, yeah. his daughter died in 2005, and he says, yeah. you never, you never get over it. Never. There's no, no day you don't like, think of them. No, and, you know, I think with when it comes to grief and... Um, you know, you think with the years that go on, it would get that little bit easier. But I, I don't know. I think for everyone, it's different. Everyone is different. Um, but for me, it, it seems to be getting that little bit harder because, you know, like they're missing special milestones. 
friends and you know you try and think what how, what they would be now like my brother would be turning 30 in April like you know you you know that's when you think oh that that's yeah. them they're a proper grown-up you know and it's just it's, it's you'd probably um, you'd probably have been heading to Scotland for a bit of a knees up would you Oh, it, well, see, yes, I was just actually talking to my husband about that the other day um, of going over um, in April. But um, yeah, he's um, yeah, they're they're all missed. They're all very dearly missed. And, you know, Tasha, to people who will do something stupid, like get into mm-hmm. a car with a drink on mm-hmm. them or do something daft mm-hmm. like drive in, drive mad, drive crazy in, in, yeah. in dangerous circumstances. And to someone who is supposed to be off the road but isn't and they're driving on a license they shouldn't have, what's the message from a family like yours? Jesus, it's really irresponsible. Like, you don't you don't really realise just how much damage can be caused in one, one split second. Like, it just, you really need to think and use your head and your brain when it comes to to thinking, oh, I'll be cool and I'll drive faster and in this weather, or oh, I've only had a couple, so um, I should be fine. You should really, really, really think that it's it's not worth it. It's not worth it. All right. No. Okay, Tasha. Um, thank you for contacting us. Um, P- no, PJ. Thank you so much for having me on. But see, just. Before I go, um, I wanted to say a quick, a quick mention. Um, have you you've probably heard of Little Blue Heroes, Indeed the I charity have. Little Blue Heroes? They're actually doing. Yeah, my uh, friends organising a truck run on Sunday in the Kenturk, uh, County Cork, right. uh, Mart. Um, so everyone is welcome to come down and show their support and everything for them. So it's a wonderful I really appreciate charity. Any, any a wonderful from there. charity. Little Blue yeah, Heroes. Cantor yeah, Mark yeah. Mart on this Sunday, is it? Sunday. Oh, that that flipping line is, is is starting to crash on us. I'll get the details off off Tasha. We'll get them off air, and I'll bring them uh, out more clearly because that line is just about to fail. I, I didn't think it would get us through the call, but it did. Thank you, Tasha, and uh, thank you for contacting us. Uh, four years ago, her brother Reese, her sister-in-law. Gemma, two just really good-looking, lovely-looking young people, and their two daughters, um, Peyton and Heidi, who were three and one, were killed in a crash between a Mini Cooper and a Ford Fiesta in a place called Fort William on the A82 in Scotland. Freak accident just happened, just happened. Weather conditions were pretty awful. At the time. Thank you, Tasha. 0818969696. I'll give you those details as soon as I have them. We, yeah, there's a few road safety based messages in there that I would like to get to. And back to the guards. Remember, I was talking to Tony earlier on this morning about how he reckons we need to have more respect for the guards. We need to give the guards more powers. He'd give the guards tasers. He'd put the death penalty back on the statute book for certain things. Uh, we had a good old chat with Tony there before 11 o'clock. Robert said the guards should have the same level of tolerance for scumbags as they have in Spain or Germany. Absolute zero. Lock them up and let there be no luxuries in the prison. 
this hope of rehabilitation if we pamper them is bullshit. Make it hell for them so they'll think twice next time. Make them suffer. No mercy, says Robert. It's a take. We used to think like that. We used to lock lock them up and give them bread and water and throw away the key. We don't do that now. We try to rehabilitate them. And that bothers some people because the families that are bothered and the fam- or the families that are troubled by their crimes that lose people and lose property and lose confidence and they look at rehabilitation and they go, why the hell are you doing that? What rehabilitation did I get? Thanks, Robert. Okay, we got it here. Um, the truck run for Little Blue Heroes is Cantorch Mart this Sunday. All trucks welcome. Trucks gathering from 12 and they'll be there. And then 12 to 1, they'll do a run through Boerbui, Mill Street, Bantir, back to Cantorch and they'll stay there for the rest of the afternoon all lined up to raise money for Little Blue Heroes. It's wonderful. Google it. I couldn't possibly describe the work that they do, but Google it, Little Blue Heroes. And that's Sunday, 12 to 2. And you wouldn't know about that if Tasha hadn't called us, and you wouldn't know about Tasha's story if she hadn't called us, and we wouldn't know. So that's 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 great. 0818-96-96-96. Staying with road safety in just a sec. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie FM. The word is back before 12. If you want to enter, just text your name to 083-396-9696. If you know the answer to this... Do not text the answer, okay? 083-396-9696. New game of the word. It is worth €250. We had a €1,000 winner this morning on breakfast. Let's see if we can start a new game for 200 Let's see if we can send someone home this Thursday. 250 quid better off. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. (laughs) If you think you know that answer, uh, just your name, please. 083 396 96 96. We play the game before quitting time today. Staying with road safety and uh, many things to do with it. Uh, Former fireman Ed Buckley. Ed, you must have been out and at many a distressing scene in your time, and this discussion triggers memories for you. Good morning. It does indeed. It does indeed. Listening to the audio this morning, it brings it all back, you know, because what happened, you know, there's not a week goes by, but there's some sort of an incident and all too often we have the road deaths. And it's so common these days. It seems to be the norm. And you know, Peter, as much as I do, you've covered as many of those incidents as I have attended. Indeed. And you've witnessed a few of them because I remember going back the years, even with the road safety, the likes of the extra road show and the road safety training programs and all that to make people aware of it, they seem to be all gone. Mm. And I think myself, the biggest factor, one of the biggest factors today in, the, in all of these situations, and I want to make it clear, I know nothing what happens in the most recent accidents, how they happened or whatever. But from my own speed seems to be the problem. Speed. One of the biggest factors. Yeah. And if you go out and 
I couldn't tell you when I saw a guard at checkpoint last. There was no guard either. Mm-hmm. And the guards at traffic court particularly, and the guards in general, they do. They do. And the guard at traffic court, when they were out there and they were stopping cars and bikes and speeding and checking licenses and this and that, they were more than likely, in most cases, saving lives. Mm. But you drive around anywhere in the city or the county today, and I'm only speaking for Cork and County, you don't see a guard anywhere. Mm. And that is a major factor in all of this, I believe, quite honestly. Well, coming through, just look at Christmas and the New Year, Ed, which is the last like festive period that was upon us. I didn't see a checkpoint from the 1st of December to the 6th of January. Not one. Absolutely, that's quite true. And what annoys me considerably... Well, they were out there, I'm sure, but I didn't come across them. Hmm? They were not sufficient in numbers if if they were out there at all. And I know, like, I mean, they're on there on the long weekends and the Christmas period, as you mentioned, and uh, the Gardaí and commissioners and the whole lot, and they're saying how they're going to be massive checkpoints around the country. Unfortunately, I think that's just publicity. That's a personal thing. I don't see the checkpoints. And if you go down, and I've said this to you before on numerous occasions, if you drive down just one area alone, down by the, the Jack Tinch Tunnel, there's a speed limit there of one section of that for 60 kilometres an hour. And if you adhere to the 60 kilometres an hour, you're taking your life in your hands. You'll be blown off the road. You'll be an obstruction. Blown off the road. Indeed. And yeah. as well as that, like, I mean... PJ is well known in certain areas that you can drive around with no tax and no insurance because there's no one there to stop you. There's yeah. no one there to check. And yeah. that is a fact. Yeah. And yeah. there are people there that are driving. I witnessed the driver there last week in the Douglas area. And my God almighty, even if he killed himself, that would have, you know, that wouldn't be bad enough. But he took more lives, put so many lives in danger the way he drove his car down the road. It was frightening. Where this started this morning, Ed, was with those numbers that the journal.ie published during the week, that of 20, yes. over the last couple of years, 21,000 people were disqualified from driving, and only 5,000 handed over their licence, which meant potentially yes. 16,000 people were able to drive that shouldn't have been driving. That's right, that's right. But did, but did that surprise you, that figure? No, not at all. And I mean, very honest. And, and, you know, maybe it might sound very negative to a lot of people because we have a lot of responsible drivers. We have a lot of careful drivers and young drivers. But there's an element out there that think that they can do as they please. So I can understand, and I, I'm not surprised to hear that number, but what beats, what I can't understand is if they hand in their license as they're supposed to when they're put off the road or whatever the case is, that doesn't stop them from driving around because there's no one there to please them. And I'd even, on a totally different matter now, I was there recently and I saw an individual who I read in the paper had been sentenced to a number of years in prison. And that was about two years ago at the most. And he's walking around the place at the moment. Yeah. So they're not even doing the time they should do. No, it wasn't for the most offence, but nevertheless, I think a lot of the things we're hearing from government are are false figures. And I mean, on the spot, I think the government will want to get their act together and get something done. Because that is no good to the families of the two boys who died over the weekend or all of the children who have died in the past 12 months again. four people in 2023. Absolutely. And we're we're already up at this point towards the end of February for 2024. Will you... You have been, and, and you'd be saying this, of course, I hope, 
you have been attended the annual mass in the North Cathedral on occasions for the family, uh-huh. deceased family members. Uh-huh. And when you meet those people, you can still see the pain, the suffering that they have. Mm-hmm. And what annoys me is, I, I, I saw this here la- last week and he was driving around, as I said, and just the way he was. And I said, how long is he going to be in the land of living? Bad enough if he kills himself, and that's terrible. But he could take out an innocent family on the road as well. I know what you mean. And if there were Gardaí out there, if there were speed vans out there, and people say, oh, sugar, they're, they're there to save lives. Because mm-hmm. there's fellas driving today, like, there's no precautions taking place, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's frightening, to be honest. Your words are strong, Ed, but they come from someone who knows what he's talking about. I can just put it to you lastly, you may or may not be aware of this, I'm sure you are, this investigation that's going on uh, up the north side after some yes. of your colleagues uh, were bombarded this week with fireworks and missiles. Yes. Did that, did that ever happen to yourself in your own working time? Oh, God, it is. Oh, PJ. <laughs> Not just the north, I'm going to make that clear. Yeah. In other parts of the city as well. Now, the wood works that I witnessed were from the bonfire night situations. But, I mean, emergency services go out there to help people protect life and property. That's the role of the fire service, to protect life and property. And in a lot of cases, going back over the years, and I'm not sure the way how it is now at the moment, but in a lot of cases, you've got to certain parts of the city and you're attacked. The vehicle gets a broken windscreen, the lights are kicked in, crows assault to whatever the case it is. Now, I know had it decreased quite a bit as to what it is at the moment, I don't know. But the thing about it is when, when these people go along and they're attacking paramedics, those wonderful people in the ambulance service, mm-hmm. and they're attacking Gardaí, there's no backup. There is no backup up there for them. Yeah. And that's a very boring aspect. There's a, a, this, a, a, a piece of film, Ed, going around, I've seen it. This is, so there was a, a car burning. It's above an Octahini yeah. the other night. There was a car burning. And on the video, you can see a guard standing directly in the line of fire of all these missiles, just trying to let the firefighters get through. That's, that's lawlessness. Right. It's absolutely, absolutely. And the thing about it, you know, they're talking there about the shortage of Gardaí and they can't get people to join the Gardaí and they're extending the age limit and all of that. And that's a very sad situation to have and that's a very worrying situation to have. And that's something I think that the government would want to open their eyes and see how they can improve the conditions for the Gardaí because they have a very dangerous job. Mm-hmm. They're out there and they're on their own. And what beats me on the few occasions that I've attended court on behalf of the First Service or accident or whatever the case was, and in some cases, it looked as if the guards were on trial. Yeah. In, in defense of the person who had done the job, the, the damage. And, yeah. and that's very, very wrong. So, I mean, when a guard goes out on duty, whether it's road traffic or the normal duty is whatever the case it is, they don't know what's ahead of them for the day. Yeah. And if something happens, where's the backup for them? And that's that's very worrying. What, what and is? there was a lot of a lot of places where the fire service went, and I would Hello, Ed. Ed. There. Sorry, you know, I dro- you dropped out there for a minute, Ed. Where did you go? You said. No, I said we went to certain situ- certain places, you know, and uh, to attend incidents. And before you got, you said we need guard backup to come up here to help us to get through and to protect us, you know? 
and uh, and that's the vital job that the guard he plays well. Yeah. But there's such a shortage enough today. It's very worrying. Very worrying. Yeah, just thinking the other, that that video that I was watching the other night too, um, of this fair play to that guard attempting to keep order so that the firefighters Absolutely. could get. What if one of those missiles fired like connected? What if that's one right. of them connected? Absolutely, absolutely, and it could very well be injuries. Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about. Horrendous. That's right, and this is the thing. And again, like as I said, you get a lot of people there the way they're driving their cars on motorcycles or whatever the case it is, and there's people on cycles and their scooters, all this, and they're just flying along the road. Yeah. And I often think, you know, God forbid, God forbid, anything should happen to them or they call it terrorist or something. And the only way you'd find that out and experience that is if you're up in the resource units of the Cork University Hospital. Okay. And a patient goes in there, and I'm sure you know this as much as I do, Peter, you're very familiar with all of this. And you go up there, and the patient is brought in, and they're in there, and they're working diligently and ferociously on this person. And then they, then they have to call it, you know what I mean? And then you'd have the doctor, and the doctor said, where are the family? At the place of science, and he goes into the family room, and you hear the screams and the roar. Yeah, I mean that's something that never leave your mind. And I'm not just talking about me; I'm talking about thousands of people in the emergency services that have witnessed that. Yes, it and it's right. heart wrenching, and it's all because in a lot of cases accidents will happen. There's no doubt about that, but we contribute so much to many of them, and there's cars flying. They have no regard for anyone else but themselves. Yeah. It breaks your heart to see it. it you, know, you know, it does worry me. And I heard you saying something there recently, which was very striking, to be honest with you. And we were talking about uh, the situation in Ballincollig with the fire service. Mm. And you said you dread going in to work somewhere where it would be an announcing situation that happened in, Ball- in Ballincollig. Yeah. And the same thing applies with road traffic incidents. You don't know what's going to happen tonight, this evening or tonight, whatever, and you have to do that again in the morning. That's true. Do you know, it, it seems to be the norm, doesn't it? Uh, I know, yeah. I know. Ed, we leave it there. Ed, good to speak with you, always, always, um, always great to hear that you're on the line. Ed Buckley, a retired uh, firefighter um, and one of the great voices of authority in in this city uh, in regards to fire and emergency services and law and order in general. Thank you, Ed. Pleasure to talk to you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. And he said the streets are pretty much the roads are pretty much lawless. There are no guards. There are no checkpoints. No one's checking anything. So it's any wonder to him that there's so many people driving around that shouldn't be driving around. Disqualified drivers never handed up their licenses. Why would they bother? It'll never be checked. And even if they did hand up their licenses, get back into the car and drive because it'll never be checked. That's not the fault of the individual guards. Before any anyone suggests I'm having a pop off the guards, I'm not. There's just not enough of them. Thanks, Ed. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right, quick pivot, as they call it in the business, to school uniforms. You'd have heard me talking to Emma De Souza, who's writing in the Examiner about how she feels that it is time to call a halt to do away with school uniforms. Her main argument being they're outdated and there's no research out there to show that they've any benefit at all to a child's education. She don't learn your sums or your writing or your reading or your spelling any better if you have a uniform on you. And she believes, Emma believes, they serve absolutely no purpose in 2024. Francis, good morning. 
Good morning. What would you like to say to what Emma was saying to us earlier? Well, I was quite annoyed because she she really was getting away from the point, saying that, you know, they were outdated, diddly diddly do, you know, carrying on like that. But if you have three girls, or the boys are the same, but three girls in secondary school, right? Yeah. And you've gotten rid of the uniforms, okay? Yeah. It would become like America. You'll have the in crowd. Do you understand me? I do. Who could afford, you know, their parents could afford, you know, the new sneakers or whatever, whatever clothes, you know, and look down on other children. Now, she's saying that, you know, it won't make any difference, you know, to their studying if they have their own clothes going into She school. said that there's no research out there to suggest that having a school uniform, that you learn any better. But I'm trying to say that, you know, they've a lot going on in their lives when they're teenagers, you know. Their bodies changing, the whole shebang. And, you know, depression is a big thing as well there. Now, if you have a kid going in, a young girl whose parents, you know, are barely making the mortgage whatever, the two of them are working, and they can't afford to be buying all these expensive clothes, you know, or change every day to something different. Well, I'm telling you, you will have a a lot of children and their confidence will be knocked. Yeah. Now, if the research hasn't been done, then... I don't know why that lady is saying, you know, ah, there's no reason for the uniform, you know. Yeah. Well, she's, she's kind of saying it's outdated and out ha- old hat and that there's no research to support the idea that you learn any better because you have a school uniform on you. Francis, thank you. There's loads more in and I'll get to them. But Francis, thank you for that. Francis, and she makes the point, if you have three girls going to school... It'll be a fashion show every morning. And it could result in bullying in the school because some kids don't have parents who can afford this week's fashion item. So you get the piss taken out of you for having last week's fashion item on. Whereas the uniform eliminates the possibility of that happening. Thanks, Francis. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Corks 96 FM Lots and lots of stuff on uniforms, but I suspect we may have to come back to it tomorrow. Uh, which I'm happy to do. So think about it overnight, maybe. Um, we'll keep your comments for tomorrow. What Emma was saying, and we'll podcast it after the show if you want to catch up with it later. Emma, who's writing in the exam, was saying, it's about time to do away with the uniforms. They're old hat. They serve no purpose in terms of a better education. 
and they're just making children conform at a time when we should be allowing them to express themselves. We'll podcast that afterwards and come back to it tomorrow. That's a promise. 0818 96 96 96. Last bit of business today. Uh, Stephen Fox was out over the last few weeks for the Opinion Line talking to members of the Front Runners Running Club, to the Cork Rebels FC, to the Link Rebels FC, Cork Hellhounds RFC, all different sports clubs catering to the LGBTQ plus community. Here's who he met and here's what he found. Sport is a part of life for most people in Ireland. Local sports clubs are part of the fabric of communities across the country and Cork City is no different. However, for members of the LGBTQ plus community, joining a sports club, especially as a beginner, can be a daunting process. The usual anxiety is there. I won't be any good... I'll make a fool of myself. I'm not fit enough to play anything. This is compounded with fears that they won't be accepted on account of their sexuality or gender identity. It is for this reason, among others, that sports clubs that are explicitly geared towards the community have popped up around the city in recent years. Frontrunners, a running club, is one such club. I travelled down to one of their sessions and spoke with their chairperson, Thomas Heising, about where the club came from and with some members about why the club is valuable. The club came into a formation in 2018. It was originally designed to just be an exercise outlet for LGBTQ plus people in court. But quickly it became a community. You saw lots of people with different backgrounds joining in. We've had people who are non-binary with women. We have people of colour. So there's a plethora of different people joining us here and there over time. The club has drawn a large membership since its formation. Carrie and Sean are two such members who told me about why they joined and what they've gotten from the club so far. My name is Carrie and I joined Frontrunners in 2021, just during the end of the pandemic. I just started running like a lot of us during lockdown and there wasn't a whole lot to do and it was a great way to just make friends. It was fantastic. Instantly I had friends on the gay scene in Cork. I could go out and always know someone. There aren't that many women but I wasn't the first one and there are more of us joining all the time. My name is Sean Keneally. I joined the Frontrunners in September so my day job or night job I should say I'm actually a drag queen and I work around the city and one of the lads booked me for an event they were doing down in Carrigaline so all the lads walked up to the pub and I was just waiting there for them and I surprised them I just did a little show for them and played some games with them and I had such a laugh with them and thought they were just a really funny group and really welcoming and lovely that I was like I'll join their running club I wanted to exercise anyway and I came and I was really apprehensive at the start because I'd never run before they took me under their wing and I started running and now I'm up to 20k I suppose the downside is now that I have so many friends here we always go out drinking so, but we're always up Saturday morning for the run and we don't miss it. While running is certainly easier to do as part of a group, it is possible to start it alone. The same cannot be said for team sports, and sports like soccer and rugby can pose their own challenges. It is a common issue for women's sports that it is looked down on when compared to their male counterparts. The default rugby or soccer team is seen, incorrectly, as a men's one. With this comes the assumption that those male participants are straight. This heteronormativity is a barrier to those in the LGBTQ plus community who would like to get involved. Cork Rebels FC offers a club that is first and foremost there to cater for gay players. I spoke with Aidan, the club's chairperson. I joined after COVID. Like I realised a lot of my friends were moving to Australia and Canada, etc. And I kind of wanted to branch out a little. I also kind of wanted to make more friends within my community. So I saw the club on Facebook, but I didn't join to January next year because I chickened out a little because I was could be very intimidating to join a club, especially when I felt like I hadn't done sports in years and you never know what you're walking into. It has changed my life. I have more friends now than I've ever had. I've done trips away. My social life and my personal gain 
and this has been huge and that was the whole point of this, the club founding I think it was a few, good few years ago now inclusive space for all skills and all abilities to come together and have fun and get fit and just be able to be within your own community Cork Rebels have managed to develop a committed player base over the past few years Patrick and Peter spoke to me about the importance of the club to the community and the development of the GEA team In my view it's positive because we can be visible to other people in the community people that are struggling coming out for example you don't normally see people that play sports in the gay community we celebrate things like the arts culture dance it's not as common to see gay sports stars so I think it's very important especially for younger people that are coming up whether they're playing J, rugby football any type of sports that they can be themselves and be authentic so it's very important that we're visible and have a role in Cork my name is Peter and I'm the chairperson of Cork Clubbers FC. So I'm with the club, oh, nearly, I'd say, five years now. <laughs> a good experience over the past number of years. One of our members, Anne Kelly, set up the Gare team. Again, I'd never played a <laughs> before, so popped on to the first session. Again, it was really good and met uh, new people as well. Playing like two sports now in one night. It's tough going, but it is fun. One thing missing from a lot of the initiatives around queer-friendly sports clubs are women's spaces. The anxiety that many members of the LGBTQ plus community feel about trying a new sport can be exacerbated for women who are uncomfortable about entering a space where they might be the only woman or part of a tiny minority. Link Rebels FC was set up to remedy this. Affiliated with Link, an NGO advocating for lesbian and bisexual women in Ireland, the club offers a space for gay and bisexual women to learn and play football. Steph Fogarty is one of the members of the club and spoke to me about why she joined and the importance of having such a space in Cork City. For myself, I would find it awkward integrating and it sounds strange to say it for most people that I found it uncomfortable to be in a straight group in a sense because you have all these stressors from being a minority of all these internal things as well where you're like what are they going to think of me are they going to think I'm looking at them and so it, it does reduce your want or your drive to get involved with a club so when you have one that is inclusive of your community it means the world you end up feeling like a majority you end up feeling in a big core group for once so it, it is definitely a fear aspect I think for a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of queer people in particular to get involved in the heteronormative we need something that kind of celebrates us as well I think it was one of the better things that happened to me because I used to play football when I was a kid and I was always on the boys teams because there was never girls teams but this thing happens when you're a young woman and you hit puberty you're not allowed to play with boys teams anymore so at about the age of 13 I loved this sport and I wasn't able to play it anymore so for me to come back when I'm grown and when I'm an adult and actually find a space to train again and to have fun again and play a sport that I actually really enjoyed it made a huge difference for me to my own core to be able to get out kick a ball have a bit of fun and actually you know, I'm not half bad. I'm not half bad. So it means a lot. And it means a lot to be connected in with an organisation like that as well. A central part of Cork culture is the city's love for the game of rugby. Cork Hellhounds RFC was set up to bring an inclusive and developmental space to the game of rugby for those interested in playing the world's finest sport. Adam O'Brien is one of the club's founders and spoke to me about where the club came from and where it's going. It was from my experience in Dublin. I had joined an LGBT-focused rugby team in Dublin, found it very like, inclusive. It was a great way to do exercise, meet people, social, everything. So I wanted to bring that down to Cork. Other rugby teams are obviously very open and friendly to new players, but I just wanted to create my own community, my own place where everyone could go to, essentially. So that's why it was our own one, our own group. It's been going strength to strength. Very, very proud of all the lads, of all of the development that we've had over the last nearly four years now. We started with maybe six or seven guys on a badly lit pitch, first training session, not really knowing what we're doing, to almost over 80 members. We've gone on international tournaments and succeeded even within the international gay rugby scene we've been seen as very developmental we're exceeding expectations 
Cork Hellhounds have gone from strength to strength since their formation and the hope is to take them into the Munster Amateur Leagues next season. Some of the club's players were more than happy to share with me what they get out of their membership. I'm Noel. I hopefully start as outside centre. i fallen out of rugby for a small bit. I went to college and just wasn't into it as much and I was really trying to get back into it. When I reached out to a lot of clubs, I didn't get much back other than a phone number that didn't answer. I contacted the Hellhounds after just seeing an ad and just got involved. Work's been tough at the moment and the fact is that like having an outlet like this makes it easier to get through the week and the fact is that you get so much camaraderie out of the people here you have so much fun and something to look forward to every time we get involved My name is Elliot as a person who struggled with their sexuality growing up in the 80s, 90s I grew up in a generation where there is ads for AIDS I mean if you heard AIDS was a death sentence this is the stigma that I grew up with and had and you had to hide and shame it but just down here on the pitch we're all the same My name is Conor O'Brien I play fly half for the Cork Hellhounds You sit on the committee as well you're planning on travel to Rome later on in a couple of months This is the Bingham Cup so it's like the IGR World Cup it's where all the IGR teams come together for a big World Cup tournament and after our success within the Union Cup which is the European IGR Cup in Birmingham and in our tier we got to the final we won all our matches bar the final against a very successful team so that really motivated us to go to Rome and say yeah we can do this we're actually very capable and having again like I said with people who are brand new or experienced they're really learning and feeding off each other to want to do their best so that's what we're striving here today now to get to get our games in get our training in and just have a great time in Rome you know and hopefully see if we can do better than we did last year The sporting offering for Cork's LGBTQ plus community is at its strongest and only improving While the offering is still relatively narrow the clubs I spoke to demonstrate that the supports are there for those willing to take the leap and establish the spaces themselves The only limit is their imagination Stephen, thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Just before I go, we will come back tomorrow to school uniforms. There's a lot of you want to have your tuppence worth on that. Plus, um, I've completely forgotten what else. <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute because I want to get this done. The word is your chance to win free money on Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, we have a new word now. Thousand euro winners this morning on breakfast. They correctly guessed Bovril was the one from yesterday. I thought that would run and run. I think this might. I'm sure people downstairs would would like it too. <laughs> Hold on to some money. We had two winners already on the opinion line this week on Monday and Tuesday. Maybe we get a third. Who knows? What is the word that we have blanked out here? I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> my mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Sharon Murphy is in tower. Sharon, don't tell me straight off, but do you know? Hello, Sharon. Do you know the word? I think I do, hopefully. You think you do. Okay. If Now, it's only 250 quid, but it would be very handy next week because they tell me you're off to Lanzarote. I am indeed, so it would be very nice. All right, okay. You'll do a lot over there with 250 quid. You'll do more over there with 250 quid than you would here. Tell you that. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, Sharon, what do you think the word that's been left out is? Disco. Disco. Yeah. I think it's disco. <laughs> no joy, Sharon. No joy. It was it's worth not, a try anyway. It was Thanks worth very a much. try. It's worth a try. Enjoy Lanzarote when you get there. 
This rolls over with Simon for the afternoon. It'll be 500 quid the next time it comes out of the bucket. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That one could run and run. 500 euro with Simon. If he doesn't give it away, it's 750 with Izzy. It'll be a grand in the morning. If she doesn't give it away, who knows? Will it be back here tomorrow? If it's back here tomorrow, we'll have 1,250 to give you for the weekend. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, I think that's about the size of it. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Those uh, cell phone links are down. Mobile links are down. Networks are down all over. The US. I wonder is it starting to affect the phones here too? Looks like it might. Sugar Babes, Van Morrison and Brian Adams also confirmed this morning for the marquee and we're told more to come. That and so much more when we're back in the morning just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie Corks 96 FM Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.